Hey everybody, welcome to Church Online. My name is Jake. My wife Nicole and I have the great privilege of leading an amazing church called C3 Los Angeles and so glad that you're able to tune in with us today. And again, just so grateful that we can continue coming around the Word of God uh, together, even in times like this. Grateful for the power of technology and uh, still grateful for the power of this Word that speaks into our circumstances, no matter what our circumstances might look like right now. Uh, right now, we're going through a series called Does a Life Have Meaning? And uh, we're in part two of that series. I want to invite you to come with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke and uh, chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's a little button there right where you're watching. You click on that, it says Bible. And you can go to Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, so stick with me. And uh, I'm going to read it, and then I'll fill in some context once we are done. It says this, Now behold... Two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon as well. They told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. I want to uh, preach to you a message today called When the Mission Gets Messy. When the Mission Gets Messy. The scene of our story today is unique from almost all the other stories in the Gospels because it takes place on the day of Jesus' resurrection. The scripture begins by saying that there were two disciples who were walking to a village called Emmaus that same day, and that village was seven miles from Jerusalem. And that same day is in reference to the day that Jesus got up from the grave. Now, we know that Jesus did that for a fact, but they didn't know that yet. They only knew it as a report. 
something that was told to them by some other disciples, something that was very difficult to believe. And it's not as though they had written it off completely. They were wrestling with everything that was going on. It says that they were walking along together and they were conversing and reasoning about all the things that they had seen and heard. They had seen Jesus die. They'd now heard that he was alive again and they are desperately trying to synthesize and to put together all of these pieces. And while they are doing that, it says that Jesus drew near and began to walk with them. Now, they were divinely kept from recognizing Jesus, I think in part because this scripture teaches us how Jesus is best revealed to people, which is through the scriptures and through the power of hospitality. As the three of them are walking along together, Jesus asks them something to the effect of, why are you so sad? What could you possibly be talking about that has you feeling so down? The two disciples, of course, they're shocked. They can't believe that this new guest of theirs on this journey has no idea about the current events of the time. It'd be a little bit like if somebody came up to you today and they were completely ignorant of the coronavirus. Like they're not practicing social distancing. They are encroaching within six feet of you and they have no idea what's going on. Like you would be shocked. You're like, don't you know about the things that are happening in the world? And they're like, what things? That's a little bit like what Jesus is doing with these disciples here in this moment, but he's feigning ignorance with them in order to lead them into a conversation and an encounter with him that they absolutely need. But before we look at that, I just want us to pause and consider for a moment why Jesus drew near to these disciples in the first place. These two people are completely unknown to us. Like I bet you didn't know there was a disciple named Cleopas. The other one doesn't even get named in the story, and yet Jesus draws near to them for a seven-mile journey towards a village that is so insignificant that modern-day archaeologists can't even locate where it was. So why does Jesus draw near to these two? Well, in part, it was because they were sad. Jesus draws near to those who are sorrowful of heart. The scriptures say in Psalm chapter 34 and verse 18 that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. It's not just a promise written on a page. It's love in action. Jesus was drawing near to these two people because they were brokenhearted. And he draws near to you and I just the same. You see, some of you are experiencing a very real sadness right now. And maybe that sadness is due to the uh, hardship that's been brought on because of this health crisis that is affecting the entire globe, and maybe the effects of that crisis have touched your finances, your family, your friends, maybe even your faith, and it's robbing you of your joy. I want you to know that Jesus draws near to you in the midst of whatever sadness you might be feeling. And guess what? He draws near to you, he comes close to you, not just to console, but to heal Psalm 147 and verse 3 says that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. We looked together as a church community just recently at how Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus draws near to broken hearts in order to heal broken hearts. And the reason that he is able to bring that healing is because Jesus knows the root cause behind all of our sorrows. He knows why it is that you may be sad at this moment in time. 
You see, there's something that one of the disciples says to Jesus, the one who begins explaining to him all the circumstances that had been going on in Jerusalem about Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. And now we've heard that he's risen again. He says this really key phrase in, in verse 21. He says, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And I think those are some really key words right there, but we were hoping. That's a lot of us right now in this moment of time. Maybe some of you have been saying, we were hoping 2020 was really the year that we were going to buy our first home, or we were hoping to get ahead, or I was hoping to get promoted this quarter, and now that just doesn't seem like any of that is going to take place. For those of you who are pastors and you're watching this, maybe you've been thinking that I was really hoping this was the year that our church was going to grow and multiply and now that doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Maybe for you small business owners, you were hoping that this was going to be the year where your business expanded, where you were able to hire, where you were able to innovate. And now it just feels like what's going to happen next month is anybody's best guess. Right now, so much hope is hanging in the balance for humanity. We were hoping is the root cause behind so much of our sadness and our sorrow. The scriptures say in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12 that hope deferred makes the heart sick. When our hope gets put off, it causes our hearts to become broken. It's the reason for so much of our sorrow. But the remainder of that verse says, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. And I want to let you know that Jesus is able and willing, and even right now taking the tears that you have been shedding, and he is using them to water the soil of your world in order to bring forth a tree of life that bears fruit in your life. He knows the hope of your heart. He knows the desires of your heart. And just like his his resurrection, him revealing himself to these two disciples was the healing that they needed, so also does he come to you with healing in his hands. He is able to fulfill the desires of your heart in even greater ways than what you originally had planned. And what we have to understand is that Jesus' process for doing that centers around him revealing himself to you. He wants to enlighten the eyes of your heart so that you would see him, so that you would be reminded of who he is at this moment in time. It's not a pit stop on the way to the destination It is the destination. In other words, Jesus isn't saying, hey, acknowledge me and then I'll fix your pain. Jesus is inviting you to see that the acknowledgement and the understanding of who he is, is the answer to your pain. What does it say in verse 27 that Jesus did for these disciples? It says that beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In other words, Jesus began to show them how he has been who he said he is all along. Like he's been the fulfillment of every single one of God's promises all along. That's what he's doing is he's, he's getting them to fix their eyes off of their pain and onto how he is the fulfillment of every single one of God's promises to them and to you and I in the scriptures. And in doing that, Jesus transforms the broken heart into a believing heart. You see, when you get reminded of who Jesus is by revisiting the scriptures, the brokenness in you begins to transform into belief. When you are reminded that Jesus is the bread of life, that Jesus is the great shepherd, most importantly, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus is who he says he is, what does that mean for your life, for your circumstances? Because resurrection 
It doesn't require anything. It doesn't need any sign of life, any glimmer of hope to do what it does. The prerequisite for resurrection is complete and total death, total hopelessness. So if that's how you feel, then there's more hope than you know. You and I just have to be willing to to be reminded of who Jesus is to fix the eyes of our hearts upon him again, that our brokenness would be transformed into belief. Like if Jesus is the resurrection, what does that mean for your future? What does that mean for your dream to own a home, your hope to grow your business, your desire to get out of debt? His resurrection means that no matter what problem you have that is posing itself as insurmountable to you, it is in fact a lie in disguise as the truth because his resurrection is the final say of your life. If you believe the lie that your problem has the final say, then you will wind up following it down a path of despair. In fact, I began to wonder something this week as I reflected upon this passage. I began to wonder what in the world were these two disciples doing on this road anyway? Like why were they walking seven miles away from Jerusalem towards this, to, towards this little insignificant village called Emmaus? They had heard the reports of Jesus' resurrection firsthand that same day from Mary, from Peter, from John, and yet they still decide to leave Jerusalem and go to Emmaus? Like Jerusalem is the place where Jesus was buried. Jerusalem is where their friends were telling them, hey, we've seen Jesus alive, and yet these two still determine now's a good time to leave. It just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't add up. This doesn't seem like the point where you leave. This seems like the point where you You stay no matter the cost, unless, of course, you are allowing your sorrow to have the final say, unless, of course, you are following your broken heart down that path of despair. Maybe then you you allow your sorrow to lead you to a place away from where belief would beg you to stay. You see, that's these disciples in the story. Their sorrow, even after hearing the news of Jesus' resurrection, indicates to us that they are giving up and that they are shipping out. And they would have succeeded in their goal if it wasn't for a certain stranger meeting up with them along the way on the road. And that's another little detail that just set me wondering this week. You see, at this point in Jesus's ministry, the mission has gotten really, really messy. Like resurrection is messy. Resurrection is chaos. You wake up to a whole bunch of people problems in resurrection, not the least of which is your disciples are just all over the place, spiritually, physically, emotionally. And here's what you and I do when the mission gets messy. Like here's our tendency. This is what Jesus would have done if he was like you and I. When the mission of our life gets messy, we do three things. We cut our losses. We take stock of what we have and who's on our side. And we bunker down and we wait for the storm to pass. That's what we do. I'm talking to all you people who are hoarding all of the toilet paper. We cut our losses. They left. They're gone. Not going to worry about them. It's all about me and my own self, right? now and and we take stock of what we have and who's on our side and we just bunker down together and we wait for the crisis to pass. What we don't do is notice the two guys Cleopas and No Name are missing. The two guys who will make not one other appearance in the New Testament narrative and then set out to meet them on their seven mile journey towards Quitsville. Like that's not our propensity as people. We keep to ourselves. We worry about our own selves. But that's 
that's not what Jesus does. Because when the mission gets messy, there is no collateral damage to Jesus. There is no fallout that Jesus is not concerned with. When the mission gets messy, your life becomes the mission. Jesus is drawing near to the brokenhearted. You're not insignificant to him. He's coming after you. And that's been our our thought about this whole crisis as a church. Now's not the time to rest on our laurels, to sit back and wait for the storm to pass. No, now is the time to pursue people. Now is the time to draw near to the brokenhearted. Now is the time to work hard and to go after those who potentially are allowing their broken hearts to lead them down paths of despair into obscurity and into significance. Right now, our goal as a church is to help you keep encountering Jesus. Because it's not just about an encounter with Jesus. It's actually about so much more than that. You keep reading the story, the interaction between Jesus and these two disciples. They get to Emmaus. Jesus walks the whole way with them. They invite him to come into their home and Jesus enters in and they break bread together. They share a meal together. And as Jesus blessed and broke the bread, it says that their eyes were opened to see Jesus. They recognized him for who he is. But the moment that they saw Jesus, it says that he vanished from their sight, which tells me that the whole point of this encounter wasn't just about the encounter. It was about what would happen next. As soon as they recognized, wow, this is Jesus, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us. And I just love that that's the effect Jesus has on people. He draws near to the brokenhearted so that he can transform broken hearts into believing hearts, but ultimately into burning hearts, hearts that are on fire again for Jesus' love for them, for the purpose that he has for their life. They rose up that very hour and they went back to Jerusalem. It was probably dark at that point. The day had been far spent, but they had the bonfire of their hearts to light the way and to lead them back to where Jesus wanted them to be the entire time. They tell the other disciples, we've seen Jesus. They say, oh no, he's revealed himself to Peter again as well. This is real. He's resurrected. Jesus is alive. And now these two disciples are back where they need to be. You see, it wasn't about Jesus simply revealing himself to them. It was about Jesus repositioning them where they needed to be. It was about getting them from here back to there, because there is where the fulfillment of their purpose was going to come to pass. You continue reading the story and you see that now the disciples are back together and Jesus shows up and he reveals himself to all of them. He begins to speak to them and it's right there that Luke records Jesus giving this commission to the disciples about his plan for their life. But first he says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Jerusalem is where they needed to be because that's where the Holy Spirit was going to fall upon them. And what that tells me is that the reason Jesus pursued these two seemingly insignificant, unknown, almost unnamed disciples, the reason he pursued them is because they were going to a place, they were allowing their broken heart to lead them into obscurity, but Jesus had purpose for them. Every life has meaning to Jesus. And when the mission gets messy, that's when Jesus doesn't cut his losses, doesn't take stock of who's on his side and then bunker down. No, Jesus goes after the one. 
And that's what we're doing as a church. We're going after the ones and making sure that you are reminded that Jesus still has a purpose, a plan for your life. If you have a broken heart right now, if you're experiencing sorrow, Jesus wants to draw near to you. He wants to transform brokenness into belief and belief into a heart that is on fire for the plan of God for your life. I believe right now that Jesus is even speaking to some of you right where you are, right where you're watching this, and he's calling you to draw near to him. He's already drawn near to you and he wants you to enter into relationship with him. The crux of our faith is it's not religion, it's not rules, it's not regulation, it's not tradition. The crux of our faith, it is real relationship with Jesus. It's belief in the one who when we weren't pursuing him, he pursued us. And he wants you to enter into relationship with him right here and now like you can do it. Like today's the day of salvation the Bible says, and I want you to enter into relationship with Jesus and experience his wonderful grace, his love, and his salvation, which he freely offers every single person. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. And if you know that you're distant from God, that God's not at the center of your life's purpose, then I want to invite you to draw near to him just as I pray for you. And just do it in your heart to say, God, I'm sorry for being distant. I want to come close to you. I want to draw near to you. I want to receive your love for me. Father, I thank you for all the incredible people who are watching this right now. And God, I thank you that you desire to bless them, that you love them unconditionally, Lord. And I'm praying right now that they would get a revelation of just how deeply you love them, how much you care for them. If you feel like you want to respond to God in this moment, I want to invite you to pray this next part with me. Would you say these words? Just right where you are out loud. Say these along with me. Say, Father in heaven, Thank you for the gift of your love and your salvation. Today, I'm a new creation. I'm a new person. For I receive the free gift of your grace in exchange for my burdens, for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for filling me with your Holy Spirit. In your name I pray. Amen incredible. So proud of every single one of you who just made that choice right then and there. I want to remind you, God's got a great purpose for your life. Whatever dreams and desires that you feel like are being put on hold right now, don't fear. Jesus' resurrection has the final say in every single area of your life. So encouraged by this word today. Hope you were as well. Love you so much, church. We'll see you throughout the week on Instagram and right back here next Sunday for Church Online. God bless you.